Okay. Um, I'm here with Leah Huber, um, who has written Nourished, a memoir of food, faith, and enduring love um, with recipes. Uh, that's an important in parentheses. Um, so let's talk about your book. First of all, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about the book? Well, Nourished is really a book about my journey of um, discovering how real food could heal me and help me make sense of the world and help me find my place in the world. Uh, and <laughs> in doing so, it took me to a lot of different places in the world. Uh, and so it's really a story about that, about sort of the greater power of food. And um, it's a story I think that a lot of people are going to be able to read themselves into because food is something that we all have to partake in. Um, and so everybody has this experience with food. You know, everybody has this opportunity with food to be able to have it um, be something that nourishes them in a deeper way than just getting nourishment, you know, for the next meal. Um, and that's something that I think is a, a common universal theme that, that everybody can really relate to. You, um, in, in the book, you kind of go in chronological order. Mm -hmm. So were you taking notes or writing a diary as you were going or were you recalling all of this? That's a great question. Both. Um, a little bit of both. There were definitely periods in my life where I was journaling more regularly and it's a lot easier to write a memoir from those, I have to say. So if anybody's thinking about writing a memoir later, you might want to think about journaling on a consistent basis <laughs> now. Mm -hmm. um, but for the other times in my life when I wasn't journaling as much, there is that, that need to recall and it, you know, it's having conversations with people about that time, listening to songs about that, you know, during that time and um, kind of immersing yourself back in those memories of that time to try and get back at the little details and how it felt and, and, and you know, what was surrounding you and what it smelled like and all of those types of things. It takes a little bit of work, but, um, but it's, a fun, it's a fun exercise to do. You, you talked about healing yourself, and I, I get the feeling that it's healing in more than one way. Yes. Um, so can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. Um, yes. I, I ran up against two back-to-back -back, um, really harsh health diagnoses in my 20s, in my late 20s. I was diagnosed with lupus um, after years of feeling... Um, exhausted and sore and in in constant pain um, and depressed and I mean it was just it was bad and um, then the next year I went through a cancer scare and so I came out of my 20s and I was like what's going on you know and I'd been like on a low-fat diet for years and years and, and thought that I was eating well even though I was still always like 20 pounds overweight couldn't get it off um, and so that's when I really began this quest of like, what, what, what do I really need to be eating to, to nourish my body and to, to you know, help me thrive? Because it obviously was not what I was doing. And at the time, I, I had already begun food writing you know, for some major magazines. Um, but at that time, it was all about the sort of low fat and how do you lighten up things and stuff like that. It wasn't really focused on real food yet. Um, 
And so I started seeking out nutrition-focused assignments and went to experts really all over the world and was asking this question of like, what should I be eating? What should I be eating? And the answer that kept coming back was eating a variety of seasonal vegetables, cooked with healthy fats, rounded out with whole grains and protein that you feel good about. You know, and that was really it. Um, which was great to get that consistent message back from everybody. So I had like a really solid idea of how I wanted to be eating. But my big problem was I hated vegetables. With a passion, I hated vegetables. So that started sort of part two of my journey, which was how to take these foods that I knew that I should be eating and take the should out of the equation, you know? How do I turn these foods into meals that I want to eat every day and that I crave and I look forward to and I get joy from? Um, rather than feeling like it was a lifelong sentence of eating plain salads with lemon juice and some bushy broccoli, you know? Um, and in that process, in that, that, that journey, which took years, you know, this is something that I learned, is this is not an overnight change by any means. This is a long-term um, commitment to making a lifetime shift. And that's why I named my company Nourish Evolution later. Um, but during this process, I realized I mean, there was much more that was going on than just what was going on with my body. My body was healed. I actually I ended up losing the 20 pounds. I like, didn't even realize I was doing it. Um, my, fibro, uh, my lupus diagnosis was reversed to fibromyalgia. And now that's I manage that. I really rarely ever have flare-ups. Um, I have more energy, you know, in my 40s now than I ever did in my 20s. Just everything changed. Um, but I realized it was even more than what was going on with my body. You know, it was this, this deeper healing of feeling more connected to myself and to, you know, something other, my faith. Um, and then also how that reverberated out to the world. It, it helped me connect more deeply with other people. It helped me care, I, you know, started caring for where my food came from and becoming an advocate for where our food comes from and being a better steward of the earth. And so there's just a ton of ripple effects that happen from this shift that may start from this simple question of how should I be eating to nourish myself, you know, and going, starting from there. But it doesn't end there. The answer doesn't end there. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. There are a lot of people out there who read this and hear this who say, yeah, I don't like vegetables either. So what was, what ended up being your secret to liking them, truly That's liking them? Great question. Um, you know, the secret is humility, compassion, and curiosity. Because what I found was when I went into, you know, when I went to a farmer's market or when I went shopping for vegetables, if I went in thinking like, I know I don't like beets, I'm not going to eat beets, I know I don't like beets, then it was over, conversation was over. But if I went in with a sense of humility thinking, huh, maybe I don't know all there is to know about beets, you know, and then if I started to get curious about it, you know, and, and would like ask around or try a couple new things and if I held myself compassionately, where it was like, if I tried it and I still didn't like it, then I could be like, that's okay. I'm going to try again, something different, you know? Um, so it was that combination of a completely different mindset that I was able to eventually try different vegetables in all kinds of different ways and find out what worked for me. You know, I still don't like 
mushy broccoli. I really don't. I laugh now because my daughter loves steamed broccoli. <laughs> and I'm like, you are kidding me. Like, that was really, you know? Um, but I love, you know, sauteed broccoli that's like got crispy edges to it or roasted broccoli or even grilled broccoli. I love it all those ways. Um, all kinds of different vegetables. I can honestly say now I like every vegetable, but not necessarily cooked every way, you know? Um, so I really think it's a matter of bringing in this sense of admitting that you don't know everything there is to know about a vegetable being curious about trying it in several different ways and holding yourself compassionately to where you'll keep going back and keep trying, you know, keep trying the same vegetable in new ways and keep trying new vegetables, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's, a, again, a process. It does not happen overnight. Mm -hmm. You, um, it sounds like you grew up in a family that was interested in food. I, I love the part about your, um, New, is it New Year's Eve celebrations? Yeah. The pasta celebrations. Yeah. I thought that was yeah. that was wonderful. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I mean, so did you have kind of a curiosity about food growing up, or you know, not really. It's funny because um, that really came later. It was almost as um, as my curiosity about food increased. Um, it was almost like my family was kind of like you know caught into that with me, and so that was that was fun. Um, but growing up, my parents actually had a beautiful garden, and I didn't eat anything from it. Nothing. And part of that was, you know, my mom would cook vegetables one way, and I did not like that one way. So kind of don't like, I don't like that one way. And so I just decided then that I didn't like those vegetables. So I didn't really grow up bonding over food with my family. And the next generation, my mom's parents, my dad's parents, they were very much of um, the, the, the new processed food generation, you know, so it was fried bologna sandwiches and um, jello, you know, and stuff like that, like that was your wonder bread, that's what I grew up with. So it wasn't until later when I started having some food epiphanies and food discoveries and kind of brought them back to my family that real food really started to make more of an appearance, you know. That's good that they were open to it. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. 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 Um, so tell, tell me how you ended up traveling. It's a great question. Um, and it's funny because, you know, I wrote this book and then people are like, oh, there's so much travel in it. Like, this is a travel memoir. And I'm like, really? <laughs> because it's just my life. And I just love to travel. Um, I think... I became smitten with French when I was in fifth grade and set a goal in fifth grade to go to the Sorbonne in Paris. And my junior year in college, I went to the Sorbonne in Paris. But before then, you know, even before then, I think it was traveling to France in my senior year in high school as an exchange student that just opened my eyes to how, how incredible, you know, experiences like that are, where you can be in a totally different culture that they do things very differently and see the world very differently. And how mind-opening that is, you know? And that was, a, that was just a big impression on me, a big aha. And that sort of ignited my love for travel. And I ended up as a travel writer, actually, before I was a food writer. And so I would travel a lot. Um, on assignment and then also I worked in the travel industry for a short period of time during the like ends of the golden age 
when free tickets abounded <laughs> and almost every flight was an upgrade when you had an IATA card. <laughs> um, and so I just, I, I, I fell in love with just exploring new places, new lands, meeting new people. Um, I just really loved that sense of discovery and sense of, of not knowing. And I think that that helped me with my journey with food also, that I could kind of access a couple of things. I mean, number one, that I could access that sense of being comfortable with not knowing. When I decided to say, okay, I'm gonna venture into this new world of vegetables, you know, and I'm gonna go into the unknown. That, that was sort of something that I was a little more comfortable with because of my experiences with travel. And then also, the seeds that were planted in all these places that I had traveled. Um, you know, nourished starts out, well, it starts out in the prologue is in um, Guatemala, but the whole story begins in Greece. And um, there were so many seeds that were planted there that I didn't understand at the time, and I couldn't have identified at the time exactly how they were going to shape my life. But they informed sort of the, the, the vision or the picture of what I was headed towards, you know, of people sitting around the table with just mounds of these, you know, beautiful vegetables and these, you know, eggs that would be from the chickens over there and the olive oil that was pressed right there and, um, you, you know, that kind of really fresh, wholesome ingredients. And then also just that feeling of joy around the table, that it wasn't a struggle of feeling guilty for eating this way. It wasn't a struggle of, you know, um, feeling like you had to cut out all the fat or eat light or only eat this. There wasn't, there wasn't that. Mm-hmm. It was just a, a simple, pure joy at these simple, pure ingredients. Mm-hmm. And, and did you found that everywhere you went? kind of did. I mean, yeah. it really was in Greece. It was in Italy. It was in France. I mean, it's, you know, not if you're going to five-star restaurants in France, but I was not going to five-star restaurants in France. Um, it was in Latin America when we traveled through Latin America. It was really this was the way these cultures lived. When you know when we got close to people that that lived there and really you know accessed how they live, that's the way they lived. And it was really telling to me that we just had a lot of baggage in America, you know. And when I was able to sort of adopt that way of living and eating more myself, and then I saw this dramatic effect, ripple effect that it had on my life and my way of being, that's when I thought, I really want to help others be able to take this journey as well. Mm-hmm. You know? So how are you doing that? What, you know, what, what, what are you doing with all of this wonderful knowledge that you gained? Mm-hmm. Well, one, I'm writing a book. <laughs> I'm um, Nourish is part of it, but I also have my company, Nourish Evolution, that, um, Really, my goal is to inspire and equip people to live this a richer life through real food. And things like Nourish, the book, is the inspiration part. And then with Nourish Evolution, that's really more of the equipping part, where we have programs, online programs, that help people learn the skills, adopt the mindsets, um, get into the practices that are going to make real food possible on a real in real life you know um and so we've got two main programs right now we're actually rolling out a third in a couple of weeks um but right now we have cook the seasons 
um, and that is an online meal planning program that puts seasonal vegetables at the center of the plate, and then you plan out from that. So it's, it, even that is a big paradigm shift. When you think of the vegetable first, and you think of well, how am I going to make this vegetable so good that this is going to be the star of my plate, you know? And then you think of okay, so what whole grain do I want to have that with that? And then oh, and what protein do I want to have with that? You know, then it's this plate full of awesome roasted broccoli with like a little bit of quinoa and the two slices, three slices of steak that you have with it are just like a couple ounces, you know, but it's all you need, you know, and that's the kind of shift that we're talking about. Um, so that's Cook the Seasons and it's based on this approach that we call Nourish 123, where you pick a vegetable and then you make a simple, what we call a core recipe with that vegetable and then you take the leftovers from that core recipe and make a reinvention recipe that comes together really easily because the base of it is already made. So the idea is, is that for your first meal, you mix and match two to three core recipes um, and then you have three reinvention recipes in the week with the leftovers. So it's great and it's like the only way that I find that I can really make real food work for me, you know? Um, if I'm having to start from scratch every single night with what am I going to make, what am I going to make, I, I can't do it. Yeah. So I, I readily admit that I need these tools, and that's why I made them for others, you know. And then our other one is the Nourish 10-Day Reset, and that's an online um, video-based course that gives people, again, like really teaches them the, the, the techniques and the skills and helps them change their mindset towards what it takes to cook real food every night. So we actually take that Nourish 123 approach and put it into practice where you know one day we're cooking those three core recipes and then the next day we're cooking the first reinvention recipe and the next day the next reinvention recipe. So they actually people are cooking right along with me and it's not you know I'm not sitting there with like dishes of diced onion and diced butternut squash. It's I sitting there with the whole onion and the whole butternut squash and it's all in real time so that people can see that you know how long it takes and how to do this and I'm able to you know teach them techniques and tips as I go mm-hmm. yeah. so it seems like now is the prime time for this um, in terms of, of availability um, and and this sort of being the, the new way of thinking I mean the farmers markets yeah. and, and yeah. grocery stores carrying more and more organic produce. Yeah. Um, so it seems like this is the ideal for time for people to practically be able to put this into yeah. to uh, their lives. I think so. I think so. Yeah, this has been a message that I have been promoting for really close to 15 years now, and it just hasn't. It it, it was too early then. Yeah, it really was. Yeah. I think that people didn't feel like it was as accessible. It wasn't as readily adopted in sort of the mainstream thought. Uh, and, and so it was, people still resisted it, you know, thinking, I can't do that, I can't do that. And I think that now more and more people are thinking, maybe I can do that. Mm-hmm. And I definitely want to, you know. Uh, and I think I'm kind of the poster child to bring it to them because I did not, I, this is, I mean, like I said, like, I hated vegetables. I grew up on processed food. It wasn't until my 30s that I started learning about all of this. So it's, you know, this has been a real journey for me. And if I can take this journey and get to where I am, which, you know, is healthier with more energy, feeling really passionate about, you know, a call in life, 
um, I think anybody can, really, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. You, you mentioned Americans having baggage yeah. about food. Yeah. Um, what, what do you mean by that? Why, why haven't we gotten on the bandwagon of wonderful family meals with fresh things? <laughs> you know, I've been thinking about that a lot. And one of, the, one of my theories, and this is completely 100% just a theory, <laughs> but I think there's a lot of people who grew up like me here. You know, where we grew up with Wonder Bread and with Miracle Whip and with a lot of the processed foods that probably our parents and our parents' parents even um, adopted, you know? We don't have a really strong centuries-old food culture here in America. We have a, a melting pot, which is fantastic, but it's more a melting pot of going out for Chinese and going out for Italian and going out for you know the Korean barbecue, and that's fantastic. But when it comes to a home cooking culture, we really don't have it. And so I think what's happened is that the, the kind of food TV has taken that over a little bit. And so we've become almost like a spectator culture when it comes to food, you know? But we're still kind of flailing when it comes to what should we be cooking at home, you know? And so what's ended up happening is we're so bombarded by the messages in the media that are essentially saying, you know, very subversively, they're saying, you can't do this. What makes you think you can cook a home-cooked meal? What makes you think you can cook for your family five nights a week? What are you, a foodie? I mean, there are all these, like, you know, subversive messages where if you're in France, if you're in Italy, if you're in Costa Rica, if you're in Mexico, if you're in Greece, if you're wherever, you would never in a million years would it be thought strange if you thought about cooking at home five nights a week, you know? Um, and But that's what's happened here in America. And so I think we need to reclaim that and say, whoa, wait a second. This is the way it's, it's supposed to be. Like, this is actually what's the way that I'm going to be nourished in the way that I need to be, the way that I'm going to be able to nourish my family in the way that they need to be. And it's absolutely doable. You know, once I learn some techniques and tips and meal planning strategies and adopt some practices and put them into place, is it going to take time to get there? Yeah. Am I going to have to commit to practicing? Yeah. But guess what? If you said, I want to learn how to play the violin, would you expect to pick up the violin and play it? No. No. You'd have to learn like how to hold it, how to tune it, how to tighten the bow, how to pull, you know, where to put your fingers, all of those things. And you would have patience with yourself until you got there, right? Mm-hmm. Same thing if you said, I'm going to learn Spanish. You wouldn't expect to speak fluently the next day, mm-hmm. you know? And so there's this idea of cooking, home cooking, really, there's a fluency in home cooking that comes as well, but it only comes after we've committed to practicing and you know being compassionate with ourselves as we're practicing this and learning the things that we need to learn to be able to get there and I hope that as a culture that we're at a point now where we're willing to make that commitment and to take that time you know and I also think that we've become very divided in the way that we eat where there's a lot of labels you know and people are really identifying with the way that they eat in a way that's exclusive as opposed to inclusive. And what I would love to do with Nourished and with Nourish Evolution is to really put forward this idea and this kind of new label, <laughs> but I don't want it to be a label, but of I'm nourished. And that meaning, I believe that this plate full of delicious vegetables cooked with healthy fats and rounded out by whole grains and protein 
is a great starting place, you know? And then if I decide I'm gonna, from this starting place, I'm gonna try vegan for a while. Awesome. And from this starting place, I think I'm gonna, you know, I'm finding that gluten is not really friendly to me. So I'm gonna go gluten free. Awesome. But if we can all agree that this I'm nourished plate is a fantastic starting place and then we can customize it based on what works for us, that gives us something to collectively rally around, you know, without being exclusive and putting up these walls between each other, you know? Let's talk a little bit more about food and travel. Yeah. Um, a, a lot of the experiences you got to have, you were like with families. I mean, you were like yeah. really living amongst people, which yeah. the average traveler doesn't necessarily get to do. You know, they're there for a week or, yeah. or even a few days. So, what advice would you have for people traveling who want to get that real and authentic experience yeah. of a culture, yeah. um, but they're only there temporarily and not attached to right, somebody. Right, right, right. Um, I think one of the greatest things that's happened over the past decade is the mainstreaming of apartment and house rentals. <laughs> you know, my husband and I have been either exchanging homes or renting homes for 20 years. and. We do that so that we can get really plug into the culture because so much of um, in all around the world, no matter where you are, so much of a connecting place is, is at the market, is at the local market. You know, so if you can stay in an area that's less touristy, you know, if you're, if you're renting a place, odds are good you're going to be off the beaten path. You're going to be in a neighborhood as opposed to in a tourist area with hotels. So that's a first start right there, you know? And then you have a kitchen. So that means that you can go to the local food markets, which is where everyone else is, and you can strike up conversations, and it does not matter whether you speak that language or not. If you point to this crazy-looking fish with spines sticking off of it, and you go, and you raise your ear, and you shrug your shoulders, and you hold your hands up, and you're like, what? Huh? You know? <laughs> There will be five ladies and, you know, four men that are going to be giving you advice and opinions really? and arguing with each other on how to cook that, you know? Wow. And it's just, it's an instant connection and an instant camaraderie. And um, then you get to go home and try what they said. And sometimes it'll work and sometimes mm -hmm. it won't. Sometimes invitations will come from those types of things and you will end up very quickly um, making friends with people and being invited into homes and things like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's... Those are the, the precious, precious, precious moments of travel, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Now, I'm sure I'm, it's like asking which is your favorite child, but which is your, one of your top destinations that you went to and, and travel and food experience. Oh, my gosh. I mean, Corfu is dear to my heart. Um, Venice also I will say is just such an incredible place because it's so unique you know you really do go to the market in Venice and you see things you've never seen before because there's so much that's unique just to the lagoon um, in terms of seafood and so it really is a fun place to be able to go and just be stupid you know and I love I say that in a loving way mm -hmm. like if you can go in and if you're not you have to not be afraid to look kind of like a fool. You feel like you're going to look like a fool, but you don't. Everybody rallies around you and helps you out and, and, you know, laughs along with you and, you know, but 
Um, I, I think it's important to go into those situations not just being okay with not knowing things again, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And I love that in Venice that you just go and you're just mm -hmm. like, what are these things and how do I cook them? And how would I ever get the shell off of this crazy looking crustacean? Mm -hmm. And what is this thing that looks like a, you know, on deep, but it's the color of radicchio and what is, you know, I mean, it's just, it's so fun. Um, so I think that some of my favorite travel destinations are also the destinations that have the most vibrant markets. Mm -hmm. uh, Oaxaca, Mexico is another example. Love, love, love that place. And I love the market there. Um, yeah, so many places in Italy I love. France, too. I mean, the south of France. We were just in, um, a couple years ago, we went to Set, which is a tiny little, not, it's not tiny little, but it's a fishing village that's sort of an off-the-beaten-path fishing village um, near Montpellier, south of Montpellier. And again, at the market, it was just so much fun to walk in and there'd be, the, like, they had all these oysters and mussels from local um, estuary and we saw you, know, you kind of go in and you sort of suss it out and saw that there were people sitting down eating these things with a glass of wine but very very rustic like it was like a rustic plastic you know tray that they were eating it off of and so you're like huh and you kind of wade in and you start to do something and then somebody will flag you down and be like no no, no over here and point you over here and you'll be like oh okay and then you go over here and you're like what do I do and they're like you order here and you're like okay you know and, and it's just like step by step it's like the local you know, community just sort of like shows up and picks you up and lifts you to the next place and puts you down and helps you step by step. And we just, I love that feeling. It's almost like when I'm in a place where I have less idea of how everything works is actually when the best experiences happen because you're able to see how the local community just meets you right there and you feel more deeply connected to them because of it. That's wonderful. I mean, that, that kind of turns many philosophies of how to travel on its ear. Oh, for sure. You know, yes. of being super planned out yes. and on a schedule or even with a tour group. Yes. I mean, you really had to go in yes. with a blank slate yeah. to everywhere you went. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you do. And not everybody's comfortable traveling that way. And I get that. I totally do. But um, if if someone has the desire to sort of be challenged in that way, it's, it's wonderful to go in with a very humble attitude um, and just sort of see what comes out of it. And I find too that you know, if you go in and you're trying to control the situation, you know, even if like you go in and you have a recipe that you want to make and you have the ingredients and you want to buy it, odds are really good you're going to get frustrated mm -hmm. because you're probably not going to be able to find those ingredients that you're familiar with at home. Mm -hmm. you know. Whereas on the flip side, if you're willing to go in and just work with what's there and just rely on the kindness of strangers, literally, and the wisdom of strangers, then a whole new world opens up to you, mm -hmm. you know? But it is, it's definitely a different attitude and it's, um, but I, I personally think that that's, that's what makes me feel so alive with travel is that you're stepping out of your comfort zone and you're saying, I don't know everything. I think maybe when we make our biggest strides in anything is when we say, I don't know everything, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and travel is a great opportunity to do that. Mm -hmm. You, you also were stepping out of your comfort zone in more than just culinary and travel ways in this book, right? I mean, in addition to kind of figuring out your spiritual self, yeah. this book is also quite romantic. Yes. 
So yes. tell us a little bit about yeah. that. Yeah. Um, yes, my faith. I mean, it's interesting because it's. I could say a lot of the similar things about my faith journey as I did about my food journey. You know, so much of it is about almost as you're growing, um, you're discovering how much you don't know, you know, and it becomes... something where the more you learn and the more you grow the more it opens up these deeper reservoirs within you and you discover that there's a whole bunch there that you didn't even know was there and so you dig into that and you go on to the next one and so there's um there's that that element of unfolding and that element of letting go you know letting go of comfort letting go of control letting go of expectations all of that it's uh, throughout the book there's sort of all these layers that I'm sort of peeling my fingers off of these these very you know tightly held beliefs and assumptions and, and you know uh, and there's a freedom that comes with that but it's a hard won freedom mm-hmm. you know and I think that that also rings true in, in relationships where that certainly is an area <laughs> where you need to get to a place to realize that you don't have control <laughs> over it. Um, because it's you're two individuals, you know, and you can't control one another. You have to come together and really um, work at it together, you know. And I mean, when Christopher and I were first married, I was really struggling with jealousy, and um, I actually I, I would go to there was there's this scripture in the Bible that I would like. It was um, love always hopes, always perseveres, always protects. And there's one other thing that I can't think of right now. What is it? <laughs> protects, perseveres, blah, blah, blah. anyway, trust, trust, right? So trust, perseveres, hopes, and protects. Um, probably not in that order in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, but I would hold that up to like every thought that came into my head because it, that was the only way that I could get rid of the jealousy. I couldn't do it on my own. I'd have to stop and think, is this thought, does this thought protect our marriage? Does it help our marriage persevere? Does it trust my husband does it help us hope in the future and if it was no then I would pluck it out and if it was yes then I would sort of absorb it into my body you know and and, and own it and so there was a constant um, evaluation you know and that was a practice that I did again and again and again and again until the jealousy finally subsided you know Um, so there's this sense of like really identifying what areas you're trying to control and that you think you control and letting go of them mm-hmm. and really being diligent about letting go of them you know from the inside out it's huge it's really big it's life altering yeah 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 wow yeah so does your husband go through similar processes when he, kind of dark thoughts come? yeah no absolutely he does and it didn't you know it didn't end there i would say that practice is you know it's I, the jealousy went away but then it was you know, on to the next one you know it's it's I, I think that that self-examination is is important, you know, and to to look at yourself and be like, what what areas need to be weeded, you Mm -hmm. know, Mm -hmm. and to be working on that throughout life. And um, my husband and I both really believe in that and really practice that both every day and then also we kind of unplug and take solo retreats where we're just go and we're silent and very reflective and things will come up in the silence and solitude you know it's not 
it is not silent mm -hmm. in silence and solitude. It's all the crap in your head that finally you hear, you know? Right, right. Um, so yeah, so we both do that. He's actually on a mountaintop right now. Oh. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And it's helpful. I think it's really helpful when you're both doing it, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so then will he come home and say, so this is what I've discovered? And oh, yeah. you kind of work on that, oh, vice yeah. versa. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So you you met in America, right? Am I remembering correctly? Yeah, so this yeah. is, yeah. So we met, um, he was living in California at the time, and uh, I was living in New York at the time. Okay. And we met through a mutual friend in New York. But pretty quickly yeah. you were onto a traveling life together. Yeah. Yeah, pretty. He was also a wanderlust kind of guy, um, and so that was great. It just worked out really well, and we both, you know, we both just were at the drop of a hat, would go anywhere, mm -hmm. and loved that. Um, and we both traveled the same way, you know, which I think is really important. If, if you know, if I were somebody who loved like the resort lifestyle mm -hmm. um, and he were somebody that was like an adventurer then that just that would not have meshed you know but we were we just really loved to travel very minimally and um, really like we were talking about kind of dig into local cultures and that's just the way we are we feel really comfortable with that and um, it's nice to be able to have a you know have a partner to share that with mm -hmm. yeah so how many countries have you been to together Ooh. Well, we've been to, the first place we went just after we were dating for like four months was Honduras. Uh, we flew down to this island off of Honduras, crazy story there. Um, so Honduras, all through Central America, so there's let's say six, seven countries there. I mean, Honduras is one of them. So let's say six countries there. Italy, Greece, Hungary, Ukraine, France, Spain, and probably some others. Oh, Norway, Mexico, Canada. Yeah. Wow. A lot of different, a lot of places. Wow. It's and funny. how long have you been together? It'll be 21 years in April. Oh, okay. Married, so together 22 years. Yeah. Yeah. So do you still travel as much now as you ever did? Not, you know, not as much as we'd like to. We, you know, we have a daughter, 11 year old daughter now, and, um, Travel kind of took the backseat after becoming parents. Mm -hmm. So we're hoping to do a lot more in the future. We actually have a dream of taking a year and traveling together as a family mm -hmm. around the world, which would be awesome. Um, so we still have that, that wanderlust and that desire to travel, but it definitely, we put down roots, you mm -hmm. know, and that's beautiful too. There's a beauty in that as well, but we still have the travel bug yeah. come up and bite us every once in a while. Where do you live now? In Northern California, in Healdsburg. Oh, okay. It's a beautiful, beautiful town. Yeah, it's a beautiful town in the middle of wine country. Yeah. So it's a good place to have roots. We've been there for seven, 16 years. Oh, okay. Yeah, which we never, ever imagined yeah. being in a place for 16 years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as you and I have been talking, when you've talked about certain places, you're, you're looking off to the side. Yeah. And I can imagine you absolutely picturing it and being right back there again in your mind yeah. um, and in the book I really was struck by your vibrant descriptions of things Thank you. I mean it really it really felt like you must have been writing it as you went um, 
And we touched on this a little bit in the beginning, but I mean, how were you able to to go back there again so vividly in your mind and and really, I mean, portray things in such a way that your reader really feels like feels they're like right they're there. there with you? Yeah, yeah. I really would go back and literally, truly immerse myself in a moment and ask, you know, ask myself, like, what am I hearing? What's, you know, what, what's, what are the smells around me? What are the, and just immerse myself in that memory completely. Um, and I know that writing, I love writing that really engages all the senses. And so that's something that I want to bring to my writing as well. So even though I'm writing about food in a lot of scenes, it's not just about how the food tasted. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about how everything looked and what was going on over here and the person that said this to me over here and how that felt and the sun on my, you know, all those different things that were going on that really builds out and fleshes out that moment, mm-hmm. you know, because there's so much more going on when we put ourselves, when we pay attention to things, there's so much more going on than just the the one thing that we might be focused on, you know? And I think that maybe because as I, you know, moved through these years that the book is about, I learned to pay closer and closer and closer attention. I learned to be more and more and more present in a moment. And I think that that probably helped me be able to go back and access those moments because I really was paying attention, you know? Um, So, like, when I think about this, I'm going to be able to, you know, to talk about, like, I, I will remember you know, cigarette butts sitting over there and all of the noise around us and this tree and how cool this tree feels over us and the strings of lights and like all of, you know, the details and how it feels, you know, um, the warmth of the air, the sun and how it looks, you know, bouncing off that building and, you know, the fact that I've got allergies in November in Denver, like, you know, all of these crazy things, those will all come back to me too, you know? Um, I love that there are recipes in the book yes. because, I mean, to me, I, I love... I love memoirs. Yeah. I love books about travel. I love recipe books. Yeah. I read them like a book, yes, like many same. people do. Uh-huh. And this combines all of that yeah. for me, which is fantastic. Um, but I also love that you don't just have all the recipes in the back. Yeah. Um, they they unfold as yeah. you have been talking about yeah. a certain experience, which yeah. I think is really really wonderful yeah, I mean you. it's it's like just when you're reading about it you're thinking oh that sounds so good that yeah. must have been a wonderful dinner yeah. there's the recipe there it is that's yeah. so great yeah. that you, you share those thank you thank yeah, you it was important to me I really wanted the recipes to be part of the narrative you know and I think that that grew out of um, for years I thought I would write a cookbook because that seemed to you know come out of this career that I had built writing about food and, and writing recipes for magazines but it just the the book that I wanted to write, which is about you know nourishing food and the things that we're talking about, that just was not flying 10, 12 years ago. And people wanted me to write books like you know low-fat comfort foods and things. And I was like, no, that's not what I want to do. So I was saying no to a lot of things and waiting for the yes. And then as the years went on, I wanted less and less to write a cookbook and more and more to write about more than food, you know. And so this book, you know, nourished really was kind of the best of both worlds for me too because I was able to write in a very narrative voice about a lot more than just food you know um, but then also be able to bring the, the recipes in in a narrative way almost where it almost brings in a whole other sense it brings the story alive 
in like a three-dimensional way, you know, mm -hmm. where people can really take, bring the story literally into their own homes and into their own lives. And that was really important to me. I really, I really had a fun time doing that. Mm -hmm. About how many recipes are in the book? One for each chapter. So there's 23 recipes. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And we have, a, we did a bonus ebook, which I was really happy to do because it's 12 more recipes and it's organized into three um, menus. So there's one from Greece, one from Latin America, and one from California. Wow. And those are recipes that I mentioned and talk about in the book, but that we weren't able to include the recipe. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's so that's great. pretty fun. That's, that's pretty great. fun. I'll give you the link for that. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's fun. And I think the other thing is, I think I'm finding that it's important to say about the recipes in the book is that they are a range. They're a range of, some of them are very simple weeknight meals. And some of them are full-on blowout, this will take two days to cook, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. And I think that some people get a little tripped up on that because they don't understand that, you know? And they're, so they're seeing these recipes, they're reading the Fausto's lasagna recipe that, you know, is five pages long. And they're going, oh my gosh, I could never do that on a Tuesday night, mm -hmm. you know? Well, I couldn't do it on a Tuesday night either. I wouldn't want to. Mm -hmm. You know, that's for when there's like a big blowout, awesome celebration, and I bring everybody around, and we make pasta from scratch, and it's, you know, it's... It's a big thing, mm -hmm. um, and that's okay. Like that's yeah. exactly the way that life is supposed to be. You know, is have these wonderful, joyful, simple recipes for most of our meals, mm -hmm. and then have some awesome blowout celebration meals. You know, right? And that's that's great. That's the way we were designed. Right. Well, what what else do you want readers to know about the book, or about you and your philosophy? I would say just that this really, truly, I really want this to be a story for everyone, you know, that everyone can read themselves into and to not shut the door and think, oh, I can't do that. Oh, that can't be me. Oh, I couldn't um, cook that way. I couldn't eat that way. I couldn't take a risk like that. You know, it might not be the same risks that I've taken. It might not be the same path. It certainly won't be the same path that I've taken. But everyone can push themselves a little bit you know beyond their comfort zone whether you're talking about food or whether you're talking about you know moving towards a purpose or um, you know stepping into a relationship in a way that feels vulnerable and scary those are all possible for everyone and I hope that people see that in my book not that this is just a story about me but that this is a story about how they can do that too that's wonderful great. Where can people get the book? Anywhere books are sold. And if you don't find it anywhere books are sold, ask for it. <laughs> but um, it's definitely on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com and everything like that. And um, would love to have you go to your independent, local independent bookstore and buy it, ask for it, get excited about it. And please do review on Amazon because it does make a difference. Okay. So yeah. That's great. Well, great. thank you so much thank for, you. Uh, for your for time today. And um, we'll have links to everything in the article great. on our website. Great. And um, this has been fascinating. It's it makes great. me want to go eat a whole bunch of vegetables now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad. <laughs> Yay! <laughs>